1: Now you're welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. We are back. It's been a long couple of weeks away for the World Cup, but Celtic are back and back to winning ways with a 1-0 win against Aberdeen at the weekend. Cal McGregor also back in action, getting the winning goal off the game. Alan Morrison is running a little bit low. He's having a few technical issues, but you are stuck until then with myself and with Jukko James as well. James, how are you? It's too early to say happy Christmas, but it's almost that time.
2: Yeah. Ha- happy Toy Day. I found that out yesterday that that's what they celebrate in Japan. It's called Toy Day. And uh, my wife was expressing aggravation as to why they get a day off work for a, for a for something called Toy Day. So I don't know. So happy pre- toy day, ha- or- no, I don't know. It's same day as Christmas. Yeah. I don't know if they do it on the 25th. So but I mean, you know, you, you can wish each other a happy Toy Day because no one knows what the hell it is anyway.
1: Okay, we'll, I, I will do that when it is eventually Toy Day, uh, Christmas Day or, or otherwise. Look, it's uh, been a long couple of weeks. World Cup was obviously very entertaining and kept us busy for the last number of weeks. And it almost feels weird that we're sitting here talking about a club match, especially a Celtic match that went on on Saturday while the uh, third, fourth playoff or uh, was played again. Croatia and Morocco, playing that in the World Cup, while Celtic were in Patadri playing against Aberdeen. It was a long game. It was a game that Celtic dominated. It was a a game that Celtic dominated all of the ball, essentially. And it was a game that Celtic eventually come up on top, and they're still top of the table, despite Michael Beal and the Brown Brogues and the new suits. Despite all all that they could do, Celtic are still top of the league.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, Alan and I discussed quite a bit of the game um, on Sunday when we did the... uh, uh, the Axom hour for the, the charity weekend. And, um, yeah, I, are, are you going to fill us in on wh- where you were at? I mean, I, you know, I, I speculated on that show. I, I had heard that you were at an effective altruism, uh, retreat on Saturday and then a Scientology retreat on Sunday. Um, but I don't know, do, do, is that, was that accurate? Is that where you were at?
1: not not quite i've moved into a new apartment and as people can oh, see okay. there's i was i'm still getting settled in so i have no, i am still currently working off a hotspot so i didn't want a chance doing such a big weekend so i left it in your uh, trusting hands
2: oh okay um well thank you for clarifying that because we, we don't want that kind of scuttlebutt getting around um, so yeah I, I, it was um it was one of those it, it was weird because you know we had the break and It shouldn't feel like one of those December games, (laughs) Um, you know, when the fixture list piles up. And we kind of talked about that before the break and how that um, November period had started to kind of feel that way as performances kind of got lethargic and, um, you know, some nervy games there where it could have went into the area of dropping some points. Um, So we didn't really play that way on uh, on Saturday, but it kind of felt that way. Um, because of how close the game was from a results perspective, even though we, you know, completely dominated things in, in, um, you know, possession and really controlling the game. Um, so yeah, I, Al, Al and I discussed it on Sunday, it's actually a lot of elements that were fascinating and I, I, have been, um, you know, it's made me chuckle how much, uh, heat Goodwin has taken. Uh, I, I subscribe to, uh, uh, Graham Spears podcast as Patreon. And he had, I haven't listened to it yet, but just the show notes I saw it dropped into my podcast feed. He had two, uh, two Aberdeen people on to talk about this, you know, this war crime of, uh, tactics (laughs) that Goodwin deployed on, uh, on Saturday. So, um, yeah, that's been funny and fascinating to watch, you know, as if he's done some kind of heretical thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it was, good to uh, to be able to um not drop the points in a in a game that you dominate to that degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah we'll 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 see if we can continue that tomorrow. Um, cer- certainly shouldn't be a, as difficult of a challenge, but um you know we shall see
1: well, Jim Goodwin mentioned or hinted towards trying to take some inspiration from St Mirren and their win against Celtic earlier on the season. And it was a bad copycat system, essentially, that he tried to put out. It was the St. Mirren game tactics without doing all the good elements of it, essentially, is what Aberdeen did. I, I, think, I think what what disappoints me the most is that I have no doubt that Jim Goodwin is actually a good manager and is capable of a lot more. And Aberdeen are the third, if like fourth, if not third, biggest club in Scotland you don't need, you, do, you should not be playing the same tactics as a St. Mirren side, because that's not who you are, that's not how you should act. And I think, I, I'm not here sitting uh, sitting here saying that, you know, they should have opened the gates and let Celtic run through them, but show a little bit of respectability for yourself and the club, that, the position that you're in, and you know, try win the game rather than just going out and hoping to nick a, a same result as St. Mirren, who are, at best, a mid-table side.
2: Yeah, so uh, I think this is fertile area for um, conversation. And this, this, what I find most interesting, uh, as I mentioned, is I, I think that the the severity of the criticism that he's gotten, um, is is kind of uh, disproportionate to what I think is a reasonable decision. I mean, I think reasonable people can disagree, right? So I, I, I think what you just expressed is reasonable. I don't think that, you know, that's like a crazy. Uh, perspective to have or anything even close to that uh, but I also don't think that a club of Aberdeen's resources relative to ours and particularly the way that we're performing under Ange um, that it's crazy that they would look to mimic or at least try to mimic what another team has done to achieve some success and I I, I wrote a column this week as it hasn't been uh, uh, hasn't been published yet but um, so I did a deep dive on that St. Mirren game. And I compared a lot of it to um, the game on Saturday. And what's interesting. So do do you happen to remember how St. Mirren scored that game? The two, they had their two goals.
1: Top of my head. No.
2: Yeah. So. I hadn't either, right? So, I mean, you can't usually, you know, especially as you're getting old and decrepit like I am, it's hard to uh, you've you, killed too much gray matter in the brain. So I, I don't have the memory on that kind of stuff anymore. So I went back and looked. So the the first goal was um, kind of a fortunate bounce that deflected, I think, off a of star felt and went wide. Uh, or maybe it was Moy, I forget. But it deflected off one of our people and went wide to their winger, who then did put in a nice cross ball into the back post, and I think one of their midfielders or defenders even ran onto it and headed yes. it, right? Yes, I so, remember that one, yeah. Right, so that that was their really their only shot from open play, quote-unquote, and it was facilitated by a lucky bounce. Um, and the second goal was a long throw-in where there was four consecutive headers, one of which was from one of our guys in the box that ended up over to one of their guys who headed it in. Right. So hardly two um, examples of, you know, um, repeatable, consistent scoring opportunities. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of that. So, again, and then the parallel I drew drew when I looked through this game from Saturday is um, Aberdeen had a really good chance off of a Starfelt header. Right. So their Roos had a long goal kick. Starfelt, for some reason, headed it towards the center of the pitch. Uh, As I joked with Alan on on Sunday, the duck of death collected the ball and then played a nice ball. I think his name's Lopez. Actually, I shouldn't be too disrespectful. I think his name's Lopez. But Lopez sprayed the ball wide to Kennedy, who had a nice 1v1 against Taylor, drew Hitate over, and one of his teammates was wide open right at the 18-yard line at the top of the box if he just fed him a pass, that would have probably been a pretty decent scoring chance. Instead, he decides to putz around with the ball and loses it to, uh, to Taylor. Right. So mm-hmm. my point is that when you get into these kind of games, if you're going to play that way, you need to capitalize on the relatively small number of chances that you're going to get. Uh, and, you know, their set piece that they had from like 25 yards, uh, the kid they have on loan from, I forget where, Brentford or something I don't know he he took it and ballooned it over the over the the crossbar not even really that close right so again from a from a game state perspective they kind of had very similar output to St. Mirren in that regard Mm -hmm. right they really only had a couple of chances St. Mirren happened to score on both of theirs with you know some variability in there that pretty favorable um Aberdeen weren't able to replicate that and then and, and if you look at the the chance creation that Celtic had, and I agree with you, Good, Goodwin didn't really replicate, or at least the, Aberdeen weren't able to replicate what St. Mirren did. Now, how much of that was us imposing on them um, and not enabling enabling them to do it versus, you know, manager instructions. But one thing that was notable is that they were about um, five to 10 yards deeper. So their average line uh, was further into their box than what St. Mirren was able to do. And St. Mirren in that game were far more aggressive and attacking. So when we were in possession in that game, they came, they they kind of pounced on us um, at a rate that was about 40% higher. There's a metric for that. Um, so, you know, within it, it's, it's something called aggression. It's basically when the opposing team gets possession um, or, or makes a pass How many times does the opposing the the defenders um, engage them within two seconds, right? And um, Saint Mirren did that at a forty percent higher rate than what Aberdeen did. So they were, you know, five to ten yards further up, and they were attacking more aggressively. And what that manifested in is we had a ton of shots from outside the box against Aberdeen. One of them that ended up being the winning goal. I think it was uh, uh, like 15 shots or something like that. Whereas against St. Mirren, they were patrolling that area a lot more aggressively and we didn't get nearly the volume of shots off um, from that area inside 18 yards is pretty comparable actually in the game. So as I said to Alan on, on um, Sunday, I actually think it was an execution problem more than a game plan problem. Uh, And if they actually did a better job of it, I think it's actually a reasonable way for a team like Aberdeen to pursue playing against us because of how dominant we are right now under Ange. You're muted. You're muted. Sorry. that
1: That's what I meant by a bad copycat system. Was yeah, it was. It, they did do the, they tried to do the same as Marin, but they did it pretty badly it was uh, 18 shots from outside the box 15 shots from inside the box for Celtic and at this point in time I'm going to bring in Alan Morrison who is waiting in the background oh, because he has got his computer to work Alan how are you getting on I'm all right I've got no keyboard at all the keyboard does
3: not work so I think I do I do have to do with my mouse unfortunately.
2: <laughs> anyway sorry about that <laughs> I thought maybe you had an advanced, since you're a computer guy, I thought maybe you had an advanced like mind control function that we don't get as laymans. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, no, No. a bit, A bit. Uh, not that I can
1: execute with like a minute's notice when I'm supposed to be doing this. <laughs> anyway. Look, it's all good. Hopefully we're all is. here now. And uh, I want to mm. jump in on something that James was talking about there, Alan. I think you were listening mm. in the background about how deep Aberdeen were sitting because it's not always about what they're trying to do. It's sometimes what they're able to do. And I think a lot of that comes down to how Celtic were playing and how dominant they were. And most importantly... The return of cal mcgregor into the midfield of celtic because what that does is that gives you a natural anchor as a number six Matt o'reilly pushes up forward atate pushes up forward and suddenly celtic have you pinned in at the edge of your box so uh just quickly before i bring you in on this uh somebody in the comments mentioned that cal mcgregor had more passes than the entire aberdeen uh team which is true aberdeen had 119 completed passes in this game to Callum McGregor's 170. So I think it's fair to say, Alan, that Callum McGregor is back. <laughs> well, yeah, yes,
3: yes, he is, and I mean, in fact, he had more—he had double the number of more than double the number of completed passes that he's had in any game this season. But you know, therein, therein lies the tale, right? So you know, this was a game which was another sticky game for Celtic. Um, I think from what I picked up because I only picked the tail end of what James was speaking about, but he was comparing it to the St Mirren game. And actually, you know, to, to, to an extent, and this is probably what you've already covered to an extent, you know, Goodwin was very successful in replicating that performance on Aberdeen's behalf in terms of that St Mirren game. Because if you look at, if you look at some of the key metrics, you know, just, i I just did manage to pull these together before the thing in terms of, um, you know, our pass completion was really high. Now you think pass completion, you know, again, I talk about uh, putting risk into your passes. A really high pass completion, we've had that. You know, we've had an equivalent pass completion in, um, you know, five games this season, six games this season. Um, one of them was the 9-0 Dundee United game. Put that to one side. All the others were games where it was an absolute struggle, right? So just moving from 60, 86 to 87% pass completion to 89, 90% pass completion doesn't sound a lot, but that moves the dial from um, you know being aggressive with your passing to being pedantic. That one or two percent—that's all it seems to take uh, to push you into that territory. Okay, it's fascinating how close, small that margin is. The four, the four games we 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 had nearly a hundred passes more than any other game this season, and the two next. Uh, and again, let's remove the Dundee United 9-0 from the table. The next two highest passes were the 4-2 Dundee United game where we had to score twice in the last few minutes and the, and the, and the loss to St Mirren, right? Um, you know, and our total packing score was one of the lowest of the season, which equates to games against Real Madrid, Shakhtar, the 4-3 against Hearts, the 2-1, you know, battle against St Johnston, the loss to Leipzig, the loss to St Mirren, and the two games around. Ross County, where we we, uh, we tend to struggle. We had the most shots of any game this season. We had the most touches in the box. But crucially, we had the lowest expected goals per shot of any game this season. And that's the crucial point. So you look at it and you think 33 shots, that's amazing. 52 touches in the box, fantastic. But if, you, if you're less than 10 XG per shot, all, all you're doing is accumulating volume and, and you're just making your stats look Some of your stats look good. But actually, you're not creating good chances, and that's and that's the problem. So all all of that is to say that you know Aberdeen, to a point, uh, did did very well. Um, you know, and and uh, that that point was, and I think you probably covered it, James, is that unlike St Mirren, what St Mirren had was two strikers who were able to battle for every aerial ball and win a lot of them, and were able to therefore get their team up the pitch because either they Got a free kick, or they got a throw in in halfway, or something, and then it was a case of you know launching a throw in from there, etc. Um, and and they also had three very energetic midfielders that you know ran ran their guts out, as well as their wing backs actually on the day, who supported those strikers. Uh, there was just such an enormous gap between Aberdeen's uh, eight and their and their two. Uh, but you did end, up, and so some of these stats are, are a function of having this incredible game where Celtic, there's almost two matches going on. There's this this eight v eight in one end of the pitch and there's two v two in the other end of the pitch. (laughs) It's quite fascinating. It was two completely separate contests were going on at exactly the same time. And their delivery, obviously, they were just relying on a a fortunate long ball. And then one of their strikers who don't, either of whom were really, looked like they were geared for winning, winning aerial battles to win it. But, so I think they completely, you know, Goodwin tried to replicate it. It was actually very successful up to a point. And again, a lot of the negative response to him has been because of the outcome they lost. But if they'd drawn nil-nil, I'm sure there would have been a lot of plaudits coming his way, right? And they were only seven minutes away from that. So those 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 are those are, those are the margins, uh, really. And you know, and to, and, you know, you mentioned Callum McGregor, right? So let's talk about Callum McGregor. So yeah, absolutely incredible. And what I'm about to say isn't isn't any harm to anyone because. What you need to do when you're faced with a situation where you've got eight players behind the ball is obviously you need to you need to have a lot of selfless running off the ball and you need to be diligent and patient in creating your overloads uh, and, and working for those spaces. Uh, and I'm not saying we were bad at that. I don't think we were. But what we got into was we got into a pattern. And that pattern was... Ralston to McGregor to Taylor to McGregor to Ralston. If you look at the passing maps, it's this little triangle, little sort of uh you know alleyway outside the box, and those three mm-hmm. were kind of passing, passing, passing. Now, you know, best well in the world, Taylor, and I know Ralston played the best pass of the game, the exception, but you you know, when Callum McGregor is making 170 passes and Jota's making twenty-six, you've got a problem. Okay. That's 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 not the right ratio. Twenty percent of all actions on the pitch uh, were Callum McGregor, right? Now Callum McGregor is taking responsibility. You could say Callum McGregor is being a captain. He's being a leader. He's being the glue. He's trying to drive the team forward. But something that's not functioning properly. If you cannot get your creative players on the ball and in the game, then you're you're something wrong with what you're doing. Okay, and this comes down to really just the you know the, obviously some of the risks associated with the way we play. So one of the things that I've been kind of getting interested in in the break is there's a bit of a debate going on in, um, sorry, I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but obviously explosion in, in football analysis and in football data and so forth, right? And, 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 and that, that that is a big, quite a big landscape now, and it covers all sorts of different people that do all sorts of different things. One extreme over here would be the guy that simply posts the XG from every game as if that's a magic bullet that says that XG explains the whole game, right? And on the other end of the spectrum, you've got people that think that that football is to be treated like um, some medieval scrolls discovered in a Tibetan cave, and that you must, you know, undertake some existentialist uh, and very, very academically rigorous. Assessment of every game to fully understand what went on, and then in the middle is the rest of us, and and so on and so forth. But one of the one of the things that's coming out of this sort of more, uh, let's call it academic, um, you know, amongst the academic disciples of the game, is this notion of um, you know positionism versus um, relationism. <laughs> all those of you that remember your A-levels and your degrees, everything has to be grounded in an ism. You, you must remember all these topics that you used to do at college where you thought, this is going to be really interesting. And then they make it as boring as they possibly can because you have to learn all this theory and all these frameworks and, and all the and all the theory that goes about before you can get to the juicy stuff. So so, so, so just bear with me on this one. But, but was, So essentially, um, what are these things? So, so positionism is essentially... I would call it a dominant orthodoxy in football and where we are today. And what would be an example of that? The most extreme example would be Manchester City and Pep Guardiola, where essentially on the training pitch, he divides the pitch up into quadrants and he, he actually, they, they rehearse moves to ensure that there's not more than three people in any lane or what have you, in any vertical or horizontal, and that they're moving, they're trying to get you know people into positions uh, accordingly. They're a very highly structured, um, well-rehearsed. But within that, the players do have to make a lot of complex decisions. So I'm not saying you're creating robots. You do have to make a lot of decisions within that. But it's based around positioning on the field to try and um, you know manipulate the opposition. And 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 Postacoglu is a disciple of this type of football, and that's what Celtic play. Okay, what's the other? What's the other? So um, relationism. So two an example. Two good examples from recent experience would be one would be Croatia, right? So if you look at Croatia. Listen, everything's within a structure. Nothing's completely, you know, if you wanted to take relationism to its absolute um, sort of fundamental extreme for the sake of building a model, you would say, give a ball to a bunch of kids that never played football before and send them out into the street. And it would just be like chaos. And they'd all be running around after the ball. That's like one extreme, right? Versus the other extreme would be, imagine Louis Van Hal. You know, was given infinite time to create the perfect sort of you know <laughs> robotic team of people that re- every single thing that they do is rehearsed. And that would be the kind of other, other other extreme of it. Something like Croatia has a framework. They've got high wingers, the fullbacks stay wide, but, but the midfielders and the, and the striker, who's not really a striker, they they are free to do pretty much what they want to do to exploit any space they can find and to ma- manipulate the opposition around the pitch, um, because they've got three. Excellent, intelligent midfielders, and I've got a striker who's not really a striker that kind of helps them create these overloads. Another good example is the World Cup final. I mean, this is what Scaloni did, right? He was up against, a, you know, a, a, a disciple of positionism in in Deschamps. Deschamps is, and, and and this is again, this is a lot to do with, you know, we're now at an age where we've had years and years and years of academy trained kids who are all learning much the same thing they're all learning to play positional football they're all learning the same disciplines, the same w- ways to press the same ways to defend and so forth and so on and so forth and, and and france is probably at the head of the curve anyone in the globe they've got the more players that can do this stuff than anybody else right and so what scaloni did was you know again he had he had, he had a structure he had fullbacks didn't go very far he kept di maria wide and then the rest of them basically exploited the spaces that they knew would be there because Mbappe wasn't going to track back and and etc etc etc. So the point I'm trying to make is that you have to find a way to 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 because this is all on a spectrum, right? There's nobody, there's nobody that's a 100 percent pure one model or the other here. There's everyone's on a spectrum of the extent to which you're let's call it rigid in 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 your positioning and in your movements. And 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 like Celtic weren't rigid on on Saturday because how how often have we seen Taylor and Ralston that high? No, we have. You know that, that was quite a, a kind of that, that was them responding to their situation, but we ended up with the mm-hmm. wrong players on the ball all the time. Because you know, if you want creative passing, you don't want, necessarily want McGregor, Ralston, and, and Taylor on the ball. So so sorry, very long long winded, but it's just something that I've been thinking about. I'm not saying I've got the answer, but what Celtic need to do is is just you know in those in those moments is, is and in those games is to find. Have different tools in their box, if you like. At the moment, the tools in our yeah. box are well. We'll just bring on Turnbull and Jackamakis and Abada, and that's great. And, and and you know that's going to probably win seventy five percent of games in Scotland, just simply overpowering teams like that. But, but but the thing the thing that I'm concerned about is that's two games in a row now. We've had pretty much similar performances. Uh, I know it's a long, I know it's a month ago since we had the Ross County game uh, where we won at home. But essentially, the underlying data was very very similar we played a low block and we struggled to break it down and and we, we might be able to brute force it uh, and that's essentially what we did it's brute force it's it's you just keep doing what you're doing what you're doing what you're doing and eventually greater quality will tell and and, and something will fall for you i, I just think if we're going to develop as a football club then you know we just need to think about start thinking about um you know i don't want to call it plan b i just mean having different strategies in place, different patterns in place to cope with these sort of things. Um yeah. this isn't listen, this is high end stuff. I'm not talking about fundamental problems here that I come, like oh it's panicking. I'm talking about really high end stuff here. I'm talking about turning two or three draws in a season into wins, right? Mm-hmm. But 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 if you want to be if we want to be the best version of ourselves, these are the things that we need to be looking at because um the evidence to me is there this is increasingly Becoming the way that we're performing, because the the danger with saying you know which is the way we're going to play, and we're always going to play that way. Is of course it's predictable, and and the worst mm-hmm. thing about um, attacking football is being predictable. It's great when you're well, defending; that's fantastic, but you can't have predictability yeah. in your attack.
1: Can I offer sorry, a sorry slightly story. shorter which, <laughs> because um, we we actually we we spoke about this similar enough at a similar enough stage of last season, and there was a game I can't remember which one it was, but we. I think it might have been Ross County or someone of that ilk, and we had something in the line of twenty-six crosses in the game. We just kept putting crosses into the box. That's all we could do because similar enough, Ralston was too far up, Greg Taylor was too far up, everyone was in the final third of the opposition, and nobody had any space to do anything other than cross the ball. This is a similar vein to that. We, you know, we were so far up that all we did was shoot in bad positions that we normally wouldn't do, but. It's For me, it's as simple as bringing everyone back five yards, bringing your defenders back five yards onto the halfway line. Cal McGregor taking a five-yard uh, step back towards the defenders, opening up space in front of them, getting Taylor and Ralston back a little bit further and getting Matt O'Reilly to do the overload in the right-hand corner and Hatate to do the overload on the left-hand corner instead of the fullbacks, and then that's the reason we have an inverted fallback system, isn't it? Because we're able to push our midfielders out wide, and then bring our 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 fullbacks into the middle to to keep uh, the numbers uh, on par there. So I I think it'll come. I, I I I still do struggle though to be too critical of this performance, James given that Celtic had still a differential of XG of like 2.3 in this game, completely dominated it. And I guess if we drew nil-nil, you're saying something diff-
2: different, but they didn't. Yeah, so I, I, um, I largely agree with Alan in that, uh, and again, Alan wasn't on yet when I said this. I, I, I did a deep dive on some of this for a column this week. Um, and kind of the conclusion of my column was, um, long live the overreaction to Goodwin's tactics. I mean, in that this firestorm that he's under, uh, hopefully, creates an incentive or a disincentive structure <laughs> uh, for other teams' managers to say, "Hey, I don't want to be putting up with that." Um, because I I agree with Alan that, and I've said this repeatedly, really, since uh, you know, quote unquote, Ange Ball arrived, is. You know, maybe a sucker punch of high press early, so you can maybe steal a mistake and a goal. But other than that, the way that I get more concerned um, for dropping points is when teams do park the bus. I welcome when teams like Motherwell come out and try to, you know, do a mid block and create pressure because it's the exact reason that you're mentioning. And uh, as soon as teams come out and allow us to have that space in between the lines, you know, that's how we basically hang three four or five goals on these teams um and so i I, the conclusion of my article was basically my analysis is if i'm an aberdeen even and this is where i think the um you know people say well they're the third biggest team or you know hearts or hibs you know if you look back through the history of them being able to score you know more than two goals against us and get a result it is not very common um and when you open up and, and allow this Celtic iteration to have the amount of chances that greatly um, increases the probability of scoring more than two goals, a nil-nil draw is probably your best chance of getting a result. Now, that is completely antithetical to anything any of us want to watch on a week-to-week basis, right? Um, and it's a horrible product, an entertainment product. I, I get that. Um, but if you're a manager who is trying to get into a European spot, and every last point is going to help in that regards, and you know you play Celtic three, maybe four times a season in the league, you know, and I again I've watched a fair bit of Aberdeen this season, and they're not doing this against Motherwell, <laughs> right? They're not playing a, you know, like France was setting up defensive uh, to a large degree, no matter who they played in the World Cup. Uh, You know, you get certain styles of managers that they're going to, you know, like Simeone at Atletico Madrid, like they're never going to be a dominant on the front foot kind of style. So it's not as if Goodwin's deploying that kind of cynical defensive football on a week to week basis. And I don't think it's unreasonable in the four games a season that if he thinks he can get two or four points playing that way, whereas look at the track record of Aberdeen. I mean, when Aberdeen had, you know, a much better side of talent guys who have gone on to play at much higher levels in the championship and even in the premier league um you know look at the team that played against that gave us a good battle in the cup final in sixteen seventeen, with the you know the glorious roger rock uh, roger goal um they have pretty good players
0: ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That was
2: the golden era of Aberdeen talent. Um, and how many points did they get off of us? You know, playing a more, you know, they weren't, they weren't playing a supremely defensive style of play. Um, and they had a hard time getting any points off of us. So this is well, we've talked about this. Domestically, this team is performing at a higher level than that invincible team. Um, Aberdeen has less talent. And why would they expect to be able to win a 2-1 game or a 3-2 mm-hmm. game again, or draw 2-2 or 3 I mean, to me, it's just not a, a high probability decision for them. I love that they're getting hammered <laughs> and that, you know, Graham Spears is having people on to slaughter their manager. Um, because hopefully that makes, you know, these other managers say, yeah, why would I do this? I'd, I'd rather lose 4-0 and get called naive than get, you know, drawn and quartered, which is what's been happening to Goodwin this week.
1: Yeah. February 2016 from what I can see was the last time that Aberdeen beat Celtic. So it's been a long time. Um
2: yeah, and that was we'll, that was we'll under park... Dyla. That that was I think that was under Dyla.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah, we'll partly yeah. will probably see the Aberdeen the, 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 style to the, play.
3: So I the, the mistake he made was that his his best his best chance of winning unfortunately was to get the ball forward to his strikers because they're really good in by by SPFL standards they're actually really really good. Unlike St Mirren's mm-hmm. who are hard working players and you know up for the fight but not necessarily good gonna score you many goals um so, well, now, Alan, the thing. but he got close again you get you got people look at
2: outcomes right they look at outcomes and people that's, Well, people and it's, it's, it's interesting it's interesting um because i actually i think the quality of those strikers was to their detriment <laughs> meaning that to your point um the way that st Mirren was able to create any hassle when they did and this is actually reflected in the uh the pass OBV metric for the game St. Mirren who, you know, does not have better players had quadruple the pass OBV and that's because they Mm -hmm. were able to lob the ball up to those two big lumps up front and they were able to get some of those balls. Whereas when Aberdeen were doing it, I mean, we just mopped it up. It it was a a stroll in the park for, for Starfelt and CCV. So, um, yeah, it, it, maybe they need to get, uh, get Cosgrove back in, uh, You know, another hammer thrower in just for that game.
1: (laughs) Just for for us. Let's park the Aberdeen style of play for now and concentrate a little bit more on what Celtic could do or could have done differently. We were spoken about variety in the attack and and sort of changing things up a little bit. I saw a lot of people on Twitter talking about Jackamakis and how he should definitely be on the pitch uh, for a bit of variety in the game. And I think that was coming from. Kyogo's misses, he had a couple of reasonable chances let's say um, to score and you know, on first glance you're probably saying yeah, Jakimakis probably does take that chance so I thought it would be interesting to set you a little task before this podcast and that was to find out if Kyogo is missing uh, more chances this season than he was last season because I think there's definitely that little bit of narrative building around Kyogo this season that he's not quite where he was last year despite his goal numbers, at least, matching up relatively close. uh, James, this is a complicated one. So (laughs) explain to us these numbers, because this is the beauty of football and the weirdness of it and sort of the, the quirkiness of how football can work sometimes.
2: Yeah, so uh, I, I did this quickly because the, the, the producer for the show dropped this uh, right before we went on air. About so 10 minutes before the end. Yeah, I yeah, apologize for that. So Alan might have some better data as far as um, complete through Europe and, and um, those games. But if you just look at the the league games, um, so for, for Kyogo last season was about 14 90-minute equivalents. This season's just under 10. So his XG is actually up this season um, from 77.77 to 0.84. So he's, he's actually, you know, and, and that's also reflected by the team's overall XG creation is up, right? So we're creating more chances as a team. His proportionality has remained about stable. Uh, his finishing. So if you look at his, um, you know, the quality of the shots relative to the quality of the chances Uh, he overperformed last season. And again, these things tend to mean revert to a degree. Uh, and this season he's underperforming by about 10% both ways. So he overperformed by 10%. Now he's underperforming. The irony of that is that his goal scoring rate is up this season, right? So he's scoring more on higher amounts of chances with worse finishing. Well, how does that happen? Well, this is this is the great I wrote something on this a couple of weeks back. This is the great factor that teams can't control, which is how good is the opposition keeper playing? <laughs> um, so Celtic have play, uh, faced really bad keeper play this season. Not that the keepers all themselves have been terrible. It's just the sequencing and the games and it's just the randomness. Uh, that's taken place we happen to have caught a lot of guys on bad days <laughs> let's put it that way where their performance and some of that's probably because they're facing us and you know we're putting pressure on them that kind of thing but um so when you mix up that all kind of shakes out um ironically jack data is kind of similar not exactly with the same proportionality i mean his finishing was better last season it's not quite as good this season and opposition keepers have been terrible Um, so I, I, again, the sample sizes here aren't huge. I don't see much evidence that, uh, outside of some obvious aerial, uh, uh, advantages that Jack Amakis is going to have. Uh, I I don't see a lot of evidence that he's some kind of inherently better finisher in kind of the broad spectrum Mm -hmm. of, of chances, um so it's just kind of ripe for confirmation bias and people that like kyogo are going to point to his and people that prefer jackamakis are going to point to his i think um so that that's kind of how the the data falls out and 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 how i've uh kind of thinking about it at this point
1: yeah alan i think a lot of this might come down to the strengths and weaknesses of both strikers and the perception of both of them because I guess if you're playing against a team that plays really deep, you're not getting the absolute quality of Kyogo's movement in behind. He's not really stretching the defense, he's not uh, getting in behind them with uh, with his movement because there is no space in behind him to get behind in the first place. And then Jackamachus is an in the box striker who thrives on one touch finishes. So that's probably where this idea that you know Jackamachus is the player for these games is coming from.
3: Yeah, I mean, so so uh, I, I, as James said, I've got data for all, all the games this season. And, and exactly as James says, his um, is, is goal scoring rate is actually a little bit down, 0.83 last season, 0.75 this. But his XG has gone up quite a lot, 0.67 last season, 0.89 this season. So this is, to me, this is a classic case of um, outcome perception bias. People are forming their opinions that he's performing worse because of the looking at the outcomes and yes he's missed more but he under he overperformed last season he's slightly underperforming this season and as James said that can be for a variety of reasons um of which luck is is, is a huge part of it frankly um so I, I'm not personally uh, worried um you know we can we can talk about is he as sharp as he was before he was injured? And that's probably a, a debate that, that that's worth having, but I don't know what the evidence would be because I can only look at his, again, his, his striking data. And he's actually getting more shots off this season. He's getting um, more shots in the box. He's getting more big chances this season than he did last season. So to me, those are all positives and all suggests if we continue. And those, and those are not positives just because of performance in Kyogre. They're positive because the team Is actually performing generally better than it is last season. Um, You know, the way to break, the way to improve breaking down an eight man block isn't to talk about Jeremiah Giacomacas or or Kyogo, it's to talk about the people that are providing the chances because Giacomacas and Kyogo will have three or four shots in a game, whereas the creators will have 10, 12 attempts to cross a ball, pass a ball, more than that probably in terms of you know through balls and so forth. So that's the key. That that's the key to it. It's getting the right people on the ball. So for example, on Saturday, it should have been a case of Ralston and Taylor doing the donkey work, pulling players out of position, which Taylor did do for the goal. And it should have been O'Reilly and, and Hatati getting on the ball uh, and then and then identifying when those little gaps uh, appeared. So that's just a matter of just we weren't organized on the ball properly, really. That's and they're the little things I'm talking about that, that will help improve us. Jack and Mac, the way that the team is playing, and I come back to this sort of positionism point, is you know, we we play to fairly structured patterns, and the strikers are almost interchangeable, even though they're physically and stylistically very different. Um there are the numbers are the numbers are very similar because of the overpowering um, power of the structure of the system, if you want to call it that way, not to say you would just drop anybody in there, you know, both players are suited to to playing this way and any striker that Celtic have would have to be similarly. So that isn't the problem. You know, both strikers are miles ahead of anyone else in the league in terms of XG. Uh, You know, it's not even close. So, it's it's, a, it's about it's about you know it's about the quality the chance quality creation dropping off in these circumstances, and that's what we have to address. Not not which striker you have on the pitch, is my view.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and it, the the only other major differentiator that I can see so far, because I, I agree with everything Alan just said, there is that the average chance that Kyogo's getting is significantly higher. So um, his shot his and again this is just league and again I, I, you know since Europe's done I think. <laughs> um, that's not such a bad thing to focus on is the the domestic aspect of it but um so he's averaging 0. 0.25 i'm sorry 0. 0.23 yeah. xg per shot whereas um Amakis is 0. 0.17 which is still good but that's just i mean kiyogo's is like, like point that's If right. you're gonna average point three two three per shot that's an insane level for a striker like that's what you know lewandowski and like that's obviously different level of competition, but the top strikers in the best leagues that Mbappe, that's where you're getting into that mid point two five area, you know, mid to um, 20s. And um, so that, that to me, again, and we've had this conversation before I, it, you know, um, I think Kyogo is the one that definitely has that kind of extra level um, of capability. Now, the other thing that is, I don't know if Alan, you have this in your, um data but uh the one thing that has dropped significantly for Kyogo is his involvement in chance creation um and that's that he's actually come down to kind of where jackamakis is whereas last season now some of that was because he was playing on the wing a little bit so there's a little bit of that but um his involvement in his utilization is is very much as a pure striker uh, this season so far similar to jackamacas so he's he's not really getting involved in build up in, in any significant way or mm. you know so again back to allen's point is that a tweak that could happen against these low blocks meaning that if they're just kind of staying in between the center backs when against these park you know park the bus d- defenses with a little bit more movement of him dropping because he is capable like, i wouldn't want jackamacas doing that uh, but I think to a degree, you know, Kyoko could be a little bit more dynamic and interchanging with some of the other forwards. And, um, you know, so w- whether the patterns of play could be tweaked when we face still maintaining the principles and all of that, but, um, you know, th- that would be something cause right now it's not like that. I think that mm-hmm. is a difference from to, versus last season.
1: Yeah. I think, um, one of the adjustments that we're going to have to make since we were spending the last three weeks watching nonstop unpredictable world cup football is getting back to predictable football and readjusting to the idea that club football isn't as much about moments as international knockout football is and individual moments tend to win games in the world cup. If you just look at the the world cup final, it was probably four or five brilliant moments as opposed to a 120 minutes of uh, anything resembling predictability hmm. and that's what we're probably adjusting to now is that Celtic are going to need somebody who could do it like Haksabanovic, who is returning for the game against Livingston tomorrow and that's where it's Jota as well I think that's where you get that's where we're talking about the sort of the interchangeability of these system's that you still get to a point in the game where you need someone to do something different if the normal stuff is not working. And that's why I think Jota is such an important player for Celtic is that he's capable of doing that. He's capable of saying, OK, we've tried the back pass across to the midfield, <clears throat> switching to play, coming back around the corner. We've tried that three or four times. I'm going to get the ball and I'm going to dribble and I'm going to see if I can get past these players. <laughs> Hax can do that. Jota can do that. Uh, Avada can kind of do that, but not really as much as oh, the other
2: two. That's actually something I was going to uh, point out is that because Aberdeen came out and played like St. Mirren, Maeda almost became useless, meaning that, you know, they they were not even pretending to try and play the ball out from the back where his pressing value would have, you know, uh, become more important. So what we were left with was him playing wide against a team that was just leaving us out there uh, with our overloads. And, you know, that's not his strength, you know, that Mm -hmm. kind of triangle ticky tacky breaking down a, a a bunker defense and I thought you saw quite a bit of difference once Abada came on as far as the dynamism and and you got Ralston overlapping a little bit on a couple of times a couple of occasions um, so again that would be a tweak that not you know to uh, um, you know we, we may not have known that or set up uh, with the anticipation that Aberdeen were going to play that defensive um and and there was a mm-hmm. substitution to address it at at you know at a, at a certain point. But that's my other pet peeve, which is you know if it's not working, make the substitution quick, which doesn't happen yeah. in football Yeah, for, for it, a it,
3: it it died. The game we about this fifty fifth minute actually it, we stopped. We had a flurry. I was like just after the big chance that Kyogo missed. For ten minutes we didn't have a shot, and we stopped breaking the lines as well. But we didn't make the substitutions until the seventy first minute. To me, that that again, I'm I'm pick, I'm nitpicking. But these are the small margins you need to pick at to become a better football team. We're just, we just, we're, I would say, we're five, five to eight minutes too late making substitutions. That the, that momentum, you know, halt. The momentum had shuddered to a halt, uh, you know, from the 55th minute. But the 65th minute was blindingly obvious, and the changes but, eventually came in the 71st, 72nd minute. So to me, get on that. Be be very attuned to that and, and get on top of it. You know, you're know, you absolutely right what you said and um, what was lacking I mean James, I shocked James on Sunday because I talked about you know long shots and lumping balls in what I really meant was we you just needed to create some chaos you need, we needed to create some chaos it was just far too predictable and chaos because well, the goal came panicked James when, when the when the ball, as well. yeah yeah when the ball flashed across the goal you've got somebody like Kyogo, he's going to react quicker than anyone else. Matt Riley is going to see it happening before anybody else. So get them, get, you know, just add a bit of something different. Like, you know, like you said, you know, whether it's a jut, a dribble or, a, or, or, and that's why Abada was so effective. He completely changed the game in that regard. He just drew, he ran at them and just flashed the ball across the goal. It wasn't particularly extravagant, but it just
2: caused, you know, because well, Maida's we, not got I, that in him. <laughs> we, we had a great case study on Sunday of the culture of football, meaning that, Deschamps clearly, t- t- to Alan's point, you know, the opposing manager comes out with a game plan that makes you look like an ass, which Argentina did for the first half for right? 18 minutes and <laughs> right. And, and I mean, how many times I listen to, I watch different coverage, all these podcasts I listen to, and how much was talked about? Oh, I can't believe they took Giroud and you know, particularly Giroud, but Dembele off that fast. Oh, it's so embarrassing for them. They took him off in the first half. It's like this is the World Cup final. Like you can take mm-hmm. your your feelings and shove them up the where the sun don't shine. You know what I mean? It's like he made the, he had to make a change. He did make a change. I give him credit for doing it when he did. Um, and, and to me, that's. You know, generally speaking, if you're a manager that comes out and you say, oh, you know what, I'm surprised the opposition came out and set up a different way and they're playing a different way than I anticipated, why wait until the 70th minute or the 60th minute because hmm. you're going to hurt convention. their feelings? Yeah, exactly. The only reason
3: France got back into the game was because Deschamps um, loosened his position as principals, and he had a never-ending supply of incredibly talented young athletic players that... He- <laughs> <laughs> continually be throwing onto the pitch and then lo and behold exactly as you predicted um, you know Argentina's um, hyper aggressive emotional center backs started making mistakes and, 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 and lo and behold they scored two goals in the last in the last 10 minutes um, but prior well, to that as he was playing in this very st- highly structured very predictable way um, Argentina had completely absolutely bamboozled them <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Well, just to finish up on this point, and some might say it's not Ange's way to do that. It's not his way to change up the style. If the high septum of pure football with the Netherlands and Louis van Gaal can... Put a big man up front and lump balls into the box just to create a bit of chaos. Then Absolutely. Ange Postecoglou can do so as well. And I'm Absolutely. not. I am not <laughs> adverse to sticking Cameron Carter-Vickers into the box if we're if we're chasing the game. And I don't think we're actually afraid of that because if you think back to um, Ralston's goal go, uh, last season in the 94th, 95th minute, it's a header at the back post. He shouldn't be in there, but he is in there. And yes. it was just pure chaos, Good and he point. just managed to get his head on it. So, I mean, like, I'm if Celtic are chasing the game, if they're still if it's still nil nil, if still deadlock, lump the ball into the fucking box. I'm happy enough to do so. And <laughs> um, we might need to do that tomorrow night. Hopefully, we won't need to do that tomorrow night against Livingston. And um, probably not the team to lump balls into the box with against, especially if you're early on in the game. Maybe if we're chasing the game when we five minutes to go, but uh, can we see it being another stalemate like this? It's at home so not as scary as potentially going to the macaroni i
2: i would expect i mean again they have a striker that can hold the ball up guy, guy does a pretty i forget his name I'm, i don't know and we're
1: talking about chaos he's uh, fucking noobly. chaotic too noobly. right
2: i mean he, yeah it's yeah, right well, he's very I creative mean,
1: he, is, he, he barely
3: scores he is, but I, he
2: creates a lot yeah for for livingston a, i think he's just, just a bull a yeah. Uh, again, I've drawn this analogy before. It reminds me of DK that played at uh, Barnsley, who's a you know he, he's played he, he's had a cup of tea for the American national team because they're like oh he's scoring a lot of goals in the championship. Let's bring him in, and they realize this guy can barely play football. <laughs> like he's just a he's just <laughs> a, a battle. To, welcome to Barnsley. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As he's a he's a battle axe that goes up into the middle and these long balls and you know creates chaos and and um, so yeah, I, you know. Um, if they play that way, which I suspect they will, now they've actually not completely bunkered at times. Like they've mixed it up a little bit and, and been a little bit more aggressive in coming out the press and kind of the mid-block at, um, in different games, even at Celtic Park. So, um, but they've given us some some game. And I, again, I don't other than uh, Martin Dale at Livingston. I wanted to raise this question. It just reminded me what manager you know kind of in the rodgers forward era gave us the most hassle like what's who's the single manager that gave celtic at a, hmm. at a smaller club that you'd say you know what a pain in the ass playing them was we this was a misery do you remember Yeah, yeah I mean, you guys they, have they, they,
3: a they, well martin day well, I, I, was, I, I don't know if the answer is well i have, have another know, name in mind
2: what? i i'm i'm trying to push you for this other name okay um McInnes? Uh, No, uh, no 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 mackenzie no every game <laughs> I've no Jim, idea. Jim Goodwin probably. It's Mirren. Steve Clark. Right. Uh, Remember those Killy yes. Kilmarnock right. teams? Right. Yeah. So I went again when I wrote this article. Kilmarnock got a nil nil draw against us and did not have a single shot. Okay. Playing anti football, an abomination to the world. Right. And, and so there were games when they would counter and get, a you know, have some luck and some variance. And, you know, we blew them out. I think it was 4-0 one game that we destroyed them or 5-0 that we got. But we're going to do that, the teams of that size. Um, So, you know, that's why Livingston, I think, has been so much better than what the resources would suggest is because they're embracing their challenge. They're not trying to play in a way that, you know, they're optimizing for chaos. Um, and they create a lot of problems for people as a result. And, I mean, they're... Th- it, you know, they have a decent chance for making Europe in a in a league when you've got hearts and Aberdeen and uh Hibs that theoretically that should be a you know a ridiculous notion um, and this is not a one-off season that this is happening like this is a formula that they've been executing on for over multiple seasons now. Um, so again they' their team I out of the whole, the grand scope, I'd much rather play Ross County uh, because they don't play this way for the most part against us like they're a little bit more endeavoring or motherwell or um you know it's it's the St. Johnston's under uh Callum. It's it's <laughs> Livingston under Martindale. These are the ones that I I get worried that you know if we have some bad luck on the day that we're more likely to drop points um than even playing Hibbs or you know hearts to a large degree. Mm-hmm. They are going
3: so, a bit soft though they are yeah, yeah. Sorry, uh, sorry, Ender. Um, they've actually, they've actually, they actually. Can you believe this? The attempt, the least number of crosses in the league. Like, that's astonishing. Livingston.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Uh, and, they're, and they're nowhere near the team wow. that plays the most long balls either this season. So that's quite interesting. Interesting. they and, and they're and they're and they're well under their expected goals against as well. So maybe a little bit of positive kind of variance that they've had this season. So, I, I, you know, I think I, th- I almost feel like the last two games we've played against them, especially away, we've been quite comfortable. So I'm not not not, not to take it lightly, because I agree with you. I think the next two home games, St. Johnson and really good Nick, actually, um, you know, they've found, with, since Nicky Clark's joined them, they've found a way to be really effective up front as well. And you know, he's a clever player. Um, not, I'm not saying we should be afraid of Nicky Clark, but, you know, they've found their mojo. I mean, St. Johnson have always been a stuffy team, right? Um, and they found they found the mojo, and they're, on, they're on a good. They're good, Their confidence is high. Um, you know, Livingston have uh, only actually lost uh, one of their last uh, six league games, and that was to us, three nil. Um, you know, they've been to Kilmarnock and won. They beat Aberdeen at home. They drew it, uh, it uh, away at Hearts as well. They got a draw. Uh, we, as we know at Ibrox, uh, they beat St. Johnson. So you know, this, <laughs> they're in they're in good form. Um, so this is going to. Be Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be another sticky night. I'm, I'm a little bit concerned because, as I say, I get concerned when I start seeing two games in a row. And I know one game was a month ago, but the performance was actually pretty similar in terms of our our kind of general stodginess and inability to break break teams down. So, um, you know, I hope I hope we're a bit because a bit on it because you know our our creative players didn't have good days on on Saturday. You know, Matt O'Reilly to a, probably a slightly lesser extent, but certainly. Yota was was incredibly quiet for him, um, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, Abada Abada did did a lot, lot of good stuff, but he didn't. A lot of it wasn't accurate. I didn't mind that because I say it was just happy that he was dropping some bombs in there and creating a bit of noise mm-hmm. and confusion. <laughs> just just what we needed. But um, yeah, so a little bit a little bit nervous, but uh, you know we should be okay. I'm sure. somebody just popped in a question? I think about penalties. Did you see that?
2: What is our penalty ratio of scored to miss?
3: Right. Oh. So um, I did an article on this, and I can't remember whether it was on my own site or the Celtic Way. So apologies, but I did do a piece on this. But the, so, very quick answer is we're a little bit below where we should be over the last five years. I think we're something like, if you, if you say industry if industry standards like seventy nine percent, we're something like seventy four. Whereas whereas our operas, opposition are at like eighty one. So again, percept that 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 leads to a perception you know so the numbers are actually not not massively um wide it's not like we're down at 60 percent or so, you know like like sort of um you know penalty out tight levels of missing but what we are below average and the opposition is slightly above average so i think that does that does lead to a perception that probably not we're not very good at it but it, it, that can turn very quickly i think chris commons is yeah, that- the best penalty i can remember in recent times
2: I was just saying, given the sample size, I think if we score one more, we might move that back up. Yeah, I mean, we're possibly, not talking huge volumes. Yep. No, this yep. is the
3: problem with penalties. Is yep, they're they're,
1: they're very um, rare events in, in the scheme of things. Well, for
2: it's
3: us, anyway.
1: for not so much if you're <laughs> And I think that's the, <laughs> the the best place to finish up on the pod, James Allen. Uh, happy Christmas hope you have Merry Christmas, a good guys. Uh, time good off night. we will be back with a pod we won't be three weeks uh, without a pod in the next uh, couple of weeks we will do a pod uh, between the Livingston and the St. Johnson games and things like that we'll we'll try to arrange it over the, the Christmas period as well so uh, happy Christmas to everybody who has watched listened or uh, got involved in the podcast in any way over the year and thanks very much for listening to this one and we'll chat to you next time <laughs> we'll chat to you.
4: I am the game, you don't want to play
0: me I am the control, no
4: way you can shake me I am heavy debt, no way you can pay me I am the pain, and I know you can't take me Look over your shoulder, ready to run Like a claimant bitch from a smoking gun I am the game, and I may do some move on out here and die like a fool Try to figure out what my moves gonna be Come on over, circle, why don't you ask me? Don't you forget there's a price you can pay Cause I am the game and I want to play Time to the game You're gonna change your name, you're gonna die in (laughs) flames Time to play the game